0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Taylor, and I'm the relational ministry leader here at Life Church. I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, Before we kick off today's message, I have a couple items of business I want to share. Uh, Number one is that yesterday we had the Bring on Spring event hosted by Champs Academy, um, and I'm still feeling it for sure, and I'm probably going to be feeling it for a few more days. But what Bring On Spring was, was it was a fundraising event, and we had teams come together and we worked out for a cause, and it was to raise money for some more equipment for Champs Academy. And we believe that Champs Academy is a ministry here at Life Church, and that's why the sanctuary looks the way it does, is because we're a part of Champs. Champs is a part of us, and uh, it tells a story. So, Bring On Spring, it was a great workout. Uh, Shane and I actually took home the championship, uh, we were the only all male team though too, so I guess it didn't really matter. And I said he was gimping last week, but I think we're gimping more today. Um, so thank you to Ann and, and the Champs staff for putting on that event, hosting that, for everybody that participated um, and just came out to show your support for Champs. Second thing is uh, we have Discover Life coming up. Discover Life is a time for you to get to know more about who we are as a church, that we can share our mission, our vision, and our values. Um, So whether you're new or you just haven't been, we encourage you to come out. It's going to happen on April 29th and May 6th at 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's a two-day type thing where we can just get together, uh, connect with one another, and share more about our stories. So if you're interested, you can sign up through our app or you can email myself at taylor at So that's the business. Now let's get into what we're going to talk to you today. Last week, we began a study to go through the book of James. Uh, and I told you that James is a practical book. It's a way that we can live out our faith practically But I also want to admit that I did lie to you last week about something. I told you it would take 20 minutes to read. I sat down and it took me 11 minutes and 59 seconds, or 58 seconds, sorry. So it was way quicker than I thought it was. Uh, But that was just reading through it. That wasn't really diving into what was being said. So just so you know, that practical of a book, it only takes that long to read all five chapters of James from front to back. But really, the idea that we talked about last week was how we can endure things and and how we can trust in God with our circumstances, and we talked about trials and temptations. But this week, I want to focus us towards the end of chapter one, where it talks about hearing and doing the word. And like I said, it's a practical book, right? This would seem pretty straightforward when we read it initially, but I want to kind of open up what James is saying here so that we get a sense uh, of how we can know more and grow more in our faith. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, James chapter one, if you have your Bibles, your E Bibles, open them up to James chapter one, verse 19 through 21. James says this, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That seems pretty straightforward. Why do we need to go any further? Well, I want to share this story to kind of set things up. If you will remember, what we talk about Palm Sunday is Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But just before that, he and the disciples are making their way to Jerusalem, and they're passing through Jericho, and they run into this man named Bartimaeus. And I want to use this story to kind of set up what we're going to talk about here. So it'll be on your screens, or you can uh, tab James 1, go in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. See, what I heard in that story when I was reading through it and studying it is that here's this crowd of people, And here's the Savior coming towards Jerusalem, and there's a man from the world crying out. There's this person who's crying out from the world who has a need, and the very followers and the believers of Jesus rebuked him. See, they were on a mission, and they knew that what they were, they they probably didn't know what Jesus exactly was going to do at that point, but they knew that Jesus said, we're going here, so that's what they were doing. But Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus became an inconvenience to the disciples, he was a distraction to their mission. So the first response that the believers of Christ had was to rebuke this man, to speak out against this man. But the Savior of the world the whole time is listening to the crowd. Over all of that noise, imagine you're, you're the professed Messiah, and you're walking in towards Jerusalem, and people are coming to you in crowds. And all the while, this, through this noise, Jesus hears. He's listening because he knows there is a need that needs to be met. And he tells his disciples and his followers, he's like, listen, call him up here. I want to talk to him. And Jesus doesn't talk initially. The first thing he does is he asks the man what's wrong with him, and he he wants to listen to the circumstances that Bartimaeus is enduring. And he's like, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus listened. He listened, but the disciples, the believers, the first thing they did was speak. James says we're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So Jesus used this up as an opportunity, not just to talk and ask questions, but to heal someone. He led his faith and his belief in knowing who he was, being fully man and fully God, to take action rather than to just be passive and understand the circumstances around him. This brings me back to an old Jewish tradition. They would say that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. But going further in that is that your ears are out in the open And your tongue is hindered by teeth and lips for a reason. So we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. But if we think about Jesus for a second in the story, the first response he had was to listen to the crowd and to understand there was a need to be met. When we listen as our first response, we are others-centered. Meaning that our motives are already set on helping someone in need. That we're willing to receive and understand what's happening around us so that we can make a difference. Jesus is the example for listening. If you look back through scripture, you see many cases where Jesus is calm, cool, and collected. He has the perfect response every time. Why is that? Because the first thing Jesus chose to do, regardless of the situation, was to understand what was going on. To be quick to listen. But like the followers, I would say much like us today, the first response was, oh, this is inconvenient. And they rebuked the man. They rebuked Bartimaeus. They told him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus all along was part of the will of God. That Jesus wasn't going to do anything outside of the nature of God or the will of God, and he decided that he was going to take an opportunity to heal someone. And see, when our first instinct is to speak first, it speaks about the motives within our heart. Because when we're listening, our motive is that we're willing to understand the world, but when we're speaking we're saying there's a problem with you and we need to fix this. So, so kind of put that in your minds as we're going forward in this to listen that hearing is, is being accepting of what others are saying so we can meet that need through Christ. But to speak is to just fixate our own motive and ambition upon the world. So I don't think it's a coincidence as well that James lists the quick to speak, or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry in that order for that reason. Because it would say that if your first response is to listen, then that means you're slower to speak initially. And if you can be slower to speak, maybe you've processed some thoughts in your head, and you would be slower to become angry. But some people will say, but what happens if the situation calls for me to be angry? What if I do get angry? It's okay. But here's the difference. There's human anger, which James tells us does not produce the righteousness of God. And then there's righteous anger which falls in line with the things that anger God himself. So how many of you have been angry before? That's an honest church, come on, yep, okay. Now how many of you have social media? And even more, okay, all right. So I know who does and doesn't have social media in here because as I was perusing social media this week, I saw a few of your uh, posts. Nick, can you throw a couple of those screenshots up here real quick? I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. But if you felt that conviction, this message, that's for you. That's for you. And that's for me too. I wanted to kind of get you thinking because we can all probably sit back and be like, listen, I've said some things that I shouldn't have said in my day, whether it be online or in person to someone. We've all been there before. But really, we're really quick on social media to say our opinion and our beliefs and to tell someone that they're wrong. But we're not quick to listen, that's for sure. And our tongues and our anger, they get us in a lot more trouble than it really should in the first place. But we let it get to that point. And I think that's a problem. Matthew 12, 34 says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. But really, what James is getting at here, that if we're gonna listen first, why don't we start in the Word of God? The word that was planted in you so that you can that the word that was planted in you that can save you, humbly accept that first. Because if we're listening to what God is saying first, our response would change in the first place. Because we're going to go talk about hearing and doing, not just hearing, but hearing and listening to what God has to say through his word is our point of origin. So let's talk about this difference between human and righteous anger. So I've really never heard of a relationship that ended because the spouse just was listening way too well. That doesn't exist. But we have heard of relationships ending because someone's really quick to get angry, really quick to snap on you, really quick to speak. And James is saying, no, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But we let that get in our way today. We, we talk too much. We engage our tongues before we engage our brains. We've all been there. But really, anger is prevalent today. It's everywhere. You can walk out of this church. You can sit in church, and there's an opposing viewpoint somewhere. And we tend to really hold true to what we believe and what our opinions are. And we're quick to say you're right I'm wrong really you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong but as a Christian response I want to challenge you think about what you're about to say to someone again in person or online whatever it might be even if you disagree I challenge you to think through this process the Christian response should be if what I'm about to say does not bring someone to their salvation then what is the point of me saying it in the first place It doesn't matter what you have to say. Are you going to bring that person to Jesus by just saying your opinion? No. I don't think so, at least. But we try to change people through our own words, through our own motives, through our own desires. And remember, when we speak, we're not so much open to changing ourselves. And I'm not saying you need to conform to the world. And I'm not saying the world is right. The world is an evil, vile, wicked, cruel place. What I'm saying is our response means everything. Our response really deals with what anger is. There's righteous anger and and there's human anger. Righteous anger would be that it, it deals with the things that would anger God himself. It's okay to be angry at sexual immorality, child abuse, neglect, adultery, drunkenness, right? Things that would anger God himself. Jesus flips tables later in the gospel when you read. Jesus goes in and he flips a table. But it's righteous because he's fully God himself. But he knows that this is not the will of the Father to be doing this the problem is is that we get caught up in a lot of human anger which does not produce the righteousness of god human anger would say that what i believe doesn't work with what you're doing and now i'm angry at what you're doing and what you're saying it's stuck on my own ways rather than the ways of the lord so you might say all right how can i channel this well listen if what you're about to say i've already given you what a way you can challenge the way you would post or reply to someone but really Is what you're doing in that conversation by interceding or intervening in that conversation, are you bringing someone closer to God in that moment? Or are you pushing them away? Because I think that's what happens today is as Christians we come out and we're so quick to say, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to do. But the world doesn't understand that. They're not living in the ways of the Lord. So how can the church get involved? Well, I always say this. You should proclaim the truth You should defend the gospel, but you should not condemn the world. And that's where I think it gets tricky. If you go back into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we actually just recently went through the book of Corinthians, and Paul is addressing the sin of sexual immorality within the church. And he goes on to tell us that it's not our job to condemn the world. The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What Paul said is we are to address sin within the church. The whole idea of addressing sin within the church would be the Matthew 18 concept, that we would restore brethren to fellowship, that we have to deal with ourselves before we could ever get to the world because we're not the judge of the world, what we try to be. God is the judge of the world. That's God's creation. The body of Christ is the believers of Christ, and that's where we address sin. But I think that we've lost some footing as a church. I'm not saying just you in life church. I'm saying church, big church in general, it's because we're so quick to point a finger at the world and we're so slow to address the sin within the church. We're slow to address ourselves and the world sees that. We go out and we say, this is what you're supposed to do. This is right. This is wrong. But they don't believe that in the first place. They don't hold the same moral ground as we do. And we try to, we try to sit there and tell someone this is how they should live. And they're like, yeah, I don't believe in that. So why would I do that? But we believe in this model at Life Church. It's called the Reach, Teach, Sin model. Where when you're reaching people, you should be in relationship with them. It's not condemning you from who you are, but it's knowing what Christ has offered them. It's getting into relationships to show them who Jesus was. And then it should be teaching them up and training them in those ways of the Lord and showing them who Jesus is so that we can send them out and be disciples as well. But so often our our model in life is that we judge the world, we condemn them for how bad they are, and then we just hope that they change and come to know Jesus. That's a, passive, that's a passive outcome. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be attractive to the world. The salt, the light. We're called to be the biblical example. And people should look at you by the way you carry yourself and understand what we're talking about. Somebody should look at you and say, you're different in the way that you handle trials. The way you go through temptation, it's different. You know, I know a lot of people who say that they're Christians, but, but you're different because you actually do what that says. You do what the Bible says. It is different to be a Christian. We are set apart. We talked about being the first fruits last week. It is different. But you should know that when people look at you, that's what they're trying to see, and that's what they should see when we become Christians. Part of that comes from the ability to being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, when really we've got this backwards sometimes. So he goes on to tell us. He says, well, how can you do that? He says, you can humbly accept the word that was planted in you. When the word of God is in you, when you let that change you, because listen, I want to tell you this as plain as I can because I had to learn this growing in my faith, you will never change anybody. I will never change anybody. As hard as that is to understand, there's nothing that my flesh can do or your flesh can do to change the world. The only thing that can change anybody is the Holy Spirit. And the word of God being shared with them, the Holy Spirit will captivate someone and it would change their lives forever. I had to learn that about myself growing up on this journey. I had to learn that I had to surrender what I wanted for someone else because there's some people that I love that are closest to me that are never gonna believe this word. As much as I want them to believe it, I can force it, I can try to do whatever I want, but at the end of the day, it's not on me. My task is to love them and to live a a relationship with them that they can see Jesus living actively in my life. I can be an influence for people But that word of God, when I let it implant itself in my heart, that's where we see change. And when we let that plant itself in someone else's heart, that's what changes them ultimately. It's not by our own might and our own will, but it starts by listening. It starts by listening to what God has to say. It starts by hearing his word. James goes on in in verse 22, and he says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word. It's like, okay, we're supposed to listen. Now he says, don't merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This made me recall a story uh, that was kind of, uh, it hurt to think of, and you'll understand why in a minute. But How many of you had chores growing up? There's some good raised people right there. You had good parents. I had chores growing up, a lot of them, especially when I got towards my high school time uh, in the summer or the weekend specifically, what I can recall. Woke up every day. My mom had a list on the island in the kitchen in the same spot with the same pen, same pad of paper, and it was a list of things I had to do for the day. And now when I would wake up around 1 or 2 p.m., I would get to that list, and I knew I was like, okay, well, if I wanted to hang out with friends, or if I had a game, or if I had practice or whatever, I had to have those chores done. Sometimes I had to have those chores done before mom came home. And I like to evaluate it and be like, eh, okay, well, mow the yard. I can do that real quick, but I don't have to do anything else the rest of the day. But sometimes I was like, oh, I don't have to touch that for a while. I'm good. I'm going to go back to bed. And I knew what I had to do. But how many of you ever had that one chore, the easiest chore you could do, to thaw out meat before your parents came home? Anybody? Yeah, I, okay. If not, you're privileged. I say that because, because I had to deal with this growing up. My mom would say, you need to set out the meat, but when I'm come home, I'm gonna cook. And I'm like, that's easy. Put meat in the put some hot water in the, the kitchen sink, throw the chicken in there, good, done, easy day. But it never failed. Every time that I would have that one easy chore. I remember I would like feel like, I missed something on that list. Let me go back. All right, I did the laundry. Yeah, whatever, I did that. Cool, Uh uh-oh. And when I had the uh uh-oh moment, my mom was pulling in the driveway and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm like throwing the chicken into the water and I'm like, that has to be done now. I try to blame it on like, oh, the water's just not getting hot, mom. I don't get it. We've all been to this point though, I think where we were told to do something and we didn't do anything about it. But how many of I think that's what happens in church today is that we're told what to do. We have the Bible in front of us. It tells us what to do, but sadly we're leaving it there. And we're not doing anything about it. And this comes to fruition later. But I want to be delicate very delicate. Before I go into that, I want to be very delicate but very firm when I say this. It is not my responsibility what you do and don't do when you leave the service today. That's not me. My responsibility is to share and encourage and and bring to you the word of God and present it to you so that would inspire you to go do. I'm responsible for doing it too. Don't get me wrong. But I can't be accountable for every single person here choosing to do or not to do when we leave here. See, that's an individual choice that we all have to make when we surrender and say that we want to do what the word says. But I want to point out that story. There's going to be a second coming. God is going to come back, and he's going to make his dwelling among us. So my question for you is, do you want to be caught doing nothing? That's not the case for me. I want to be caught in the work doing what was, what was told before, set before me, what I was told to do. But really, this is what happens. And I call this the, like, the Western church, in today's church. This is where we get in trouble. We are privileged. We are beyond privileged. I could sit here today and go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. That would be a long service but we could, we have the ability to freely worship. We have the ability to grow, but sadly, as a church, we're growing complacent. We get so much Bible time, and we're doing so little about it. There is a church being persecuted today, has been. People are dying from owning a Bible. How many of you have a Bible on you, or an electronic Bible on you right now? If you go somewhere else in the world, you can be killed for that. But here we are, carrying it outside proudly, got our bibles in here we can open them we can sing we can do whatever we want when it comes to worshiping the lord there's people dying for it and i think that's what happens is we become so spoiled and i'm not saying we you me i'm just saying the church at large there's people that are trying to do as much work as they can they're being persecuted for it but we're getting so much of the word and we're not being persecuted and we're not doing the work you know what i'm saying Again, let this be a conviction to the church at large, not just to you, but let this, let this soak in and understand that this is really a problem in today's world. I could sit here and tell you everything I want to, but it's up to us to do the work. I know I mentioned it last week, but really what happens is this makes the devil's job easier. What easier way to pull people from God and their relationship with God than to know that a group of Christians are going to gather then they're going to leave and do nothing about it. It takes action on our part. When we're the hands and the feet, when we're showing people the example of who Christianity really is, that's where change occurs. That's where it's easier to share the gospel message. We have so much given to us, guys. It's on a silver platter. But we have to be able to go serve and get that out to the community. This week's message, this week's message right now, it's an assignment from God. It's not just something that stays within these walls. It's up, it's up to me too to do it. It's up to us collectively together to go and do what it says. Listen, I want you to be able to come. Come as much as you want to church. We welcome you. We don't care where you came from, what you look like, what you smell like. I don't care any of it. But let it transition you to living your faith actively so that you can go somewhere with this. So you can go back to where you came from and help those people out. That's how you reach people. You understand what Christianity is. You understand who Jesus is, and you understand how impactful that relationship is that brought you to your salvation. See, you were once here, and now you're here. Go do that work. Take the gospel message outside of here. What James tells us is that when we don't do this so, our hearts become deceived because we come into church, and everything feels good. But when we don't do anything about it, our hearts are deceived. That's saying that we're living in a false reality. That's saying that you think everything's so good right now, but then you do nothing about it. And you, but you think that's good because you came to church, right? But we can't leave that there. He says that it's like looking in the mirror and doing nothing about it. What he's saying is it's like coming to church and walking away forgetting everything that you just heard. Now, I know I've been there before myself. I've walked away from sermons and I was just like, what? It, yeah, oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think back. But it's up to us to do our part, okay? And take that out. If you look into the Greek for looking in the mirror, it says to give a careful scrutiny. What James is saying is that we're supposed to give a careful scrutiny towards God's word. That if you open up your Bible and you read what the Bible says, he says, if you understand this, if you believe this, you'll do it. But we look in the mirror sometimes and we just say, yeah, people are doing that. I mean, we're good. I came, I opened my Bible, I went to church, we're good. You can't come to church and feel good about, man, that worship was awesome. That was a pretty good message. Man, it was so great being around people I haven't seen all week. Oh, life is good right now. It has to go further than that. Don't get me wrong. Reading your Bible and coming to church are crucial. I encourage it, obviously. But that's only part of our solution here. There are people who don't believe in God, who open up the Word of God, and sadly sometimes study it more than Christians do. They will get into God's Word, but just because you're a Bible expert and you study the Bible doesn't make you a disciple. It doesn't mean that you're doing what it says. Jesus, in ancient times, when you would, when you would follow a rabbi or a teacher— Following didn't just mean you were going to listen to everything they said and be like, oh, wow, oh, cool, yeah. Oh, what they said was great, cool. The whole idea of following in the first place is you were going to do everything they did too. So Jesus calls us to be disciples. It's the same call in the Bible that it is for you and me today. It's to not just be hearers, it's to be doers. It's not just to passively listen and actively do. That's what it's for. It's to passively listen and actively do. It's not to actively listen and passively do. So, when you look at a mirror in today in church, what do you see? What do you see in yourself? When you, when you have the world look at you, if you were to ask someone for their opinion about where you believe and what you believe in, what would they say? My question is, if you're looking in the mirror, what do you, what do you see? What are you doing? Our intentions of looking in a mirror in the first place are to make some sort of a change. Like, you look in the mirror and you don't just go, wow, I look haggard today, and just walk off. Like, I need to change something, but I'm going to do nothing about it. Like, I know I might not be the most pleasant thing to look at, but I at least try to look good and smell good. But when we look in the mirror, our intention is to either fix something about ourselves, or if we are fixed, then our intention is to go help someone else or do something for someone else, right? Like, if you got a hot date, you're going to go make yourself look good for that person. Similarly, I guess, is the same thing for the gospel, like it's, it's something that's speaking to you so that you can make the change from within, but ultimately it's meant for us to go out and do for someone else. So when you look into God's word, understand that there's a call to do. There's a call to action. I don't know how many of you have heard the phrase before, though, but uh, there's a phrase that goes something like this. I actually heard it from my grandma this week. She's right there. Thanks, Grandma. Uh, it's that you can't sit in a, car, in a garage and expect to become a car. In the same way, you can't come into church and expect to become a Christian. You have to do something about it. Like, you can't just sit in the presence of people and think that you're going to change. Yes, you could be influenced and, and learn behaviors, but ultimately it comes from the word of God. James goes on in verse 26 through 27, he says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Your walk with Jesus should be translated in the way that you live. And if it's not, you're deceiving yourself. See, so often we're quick to say, I'm going to do this. We set goals a little too high and we fail. Like we said, it's easier to fall off. We said this last week. It's easier to stop doing something than it is to press on. But if you really want to do something in the world, if you really want to make a difference, James tells you this is what God views as pure. It's to help the orphans and the widows. He's saying it's to help the vulnerable. It's to help the world. See, if we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and understand to get rid of everything that's filthy in us so that we can follow and do what Jesus says, you would say, go do this go help these people. This week I actually had a conversation with Evie Blackburn, and it was kind of a God conversation, because immediately when I read this passage of James, I said, orphans. And Evie, if you don't know, she works with an organization called Hands of Hope. You can uh, throw up her information while I talk about this. Feel free at any point to take a picture of Evie's contact information while I share this, But, but Evie actually reached out to me, even though I was thinking about her, and she said, hey Taylor, I'd like to chat more About what we're doing at Hands of Hope, and I'd like to invite you uh, to one of our meetings next week. I was like, awesome. Can I ask you more? And what she said was Hands of Hope is a foster and an adoptive organization, and there is a need in our own community. There's a need in the world for taking in the orphans and for helping the widows, but really, that vulnerable people that I'm talking about right now is the orphans. And Hands of Hope, they meet regularly. and and it's the foster families it's not just the children it's not just the parents it's the families they come together and it's Christian based and they offer support and guidance for one another and they share stories they try to encourage one another because there's people in our own church that will tell you this it's not easy bringing someone else in or someone else's child into your own home and accepting them as your own and trying to train them in the ways of the Lord knowing that they were abandoned basically from the start that's hard that's hard But there's people that are trying to make a difference in the world by saying we will be foster parents and we will bring these kids up and we'll hopefully give them a future. And Evie and Hands of Hope are doing this in the name of Jesus. And she mentioned this week there's a program called Care Communities that have already been established. And she wants to implement these in our own community. So if you want to get actively involved, this is what a care community is. Six to eight people get together and they sponsor A foster family. Think about six to eight believers coming together and taking care of a foster family through all of their needs, all of the law and the court visits and all all these appointments that they have to make. Imagine if six to eight believers could come together, one of you would just relay information from the family to the group, and you say, hey, let us mow your yard this week. Let us bring you meals. Can we pray for you? Can we do anything? Because often what happens when we talk about these things is we're quick to just give money, which is not wrong. It's helping people in need. But just giving sometimes isn't enough when we can be the hands and the feet for the work. So if you feel like you want to help out or get to know more about Hands of Hope and how to get involved in a care community so that you can help a foster family and hopefully bring that child or those children to know the Lord, call Evie. There's a reason it's her phone number. That's her personal cell phone. She didn't give me your email. She said, no, have them call me directly. Because there is a need. And she's saying, if you want to get involved here, call. You can also go. The website right there um, is more information on who Hands of Hope is and what their mission is. But Evie is willing to answer any questions that you might have. So, uh, yeah, take the picture if you want. I'm going to invite the worship team up real quick. And we're going to transition from this time into a time of communion. So if you're online, uh, I want to encourage you to go grab some elements. Uh, for the bread and the blood uh, if you have time right now and we're going to enter a time of communion so if you did not grab one of these little communion cups to go um, they're here here and in the back but we'll, we'll allow you to come up here in just a second and partake with us so I'm going I'm to read through some scripture we'll talk about it really quick uh, and then as I pray out when I'm done praying I invite you to come up and grab your communion and partake together Uh, And then Nichelle, as you're doing that, Nichelle and the worship team uh, will continue on in, in worship as we finish out communion. But one reason I think communion is fitting is because think about where it originated. Jesus was at the Last Supper with who? The disciples. He didn't bring up the thought of the new covenant with the Pharisees. He didn't share the bread and the wine with the crowds. In this instance, at the Passover, he did it with the people who were doing the work. And he says, The reason that we do this is in remembrance of me. Listen, don't get so busy doing the work, doing the word, that you forget why you're doing it. So, Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29 says this While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you and my father's kingdom. The blood, he says, I'm not gonna drink it until you are with me because you're doing my work. You're following me and you understand what it takes and I want you, the doers, the followers of me to partake in the new kingdom and that's what he's saying. And one thing I want to say before you come up and grab communion after prayer is that the wafer, the the bread is on top so you're going to have to open the top part and then open the bottom part when you partake. So So there's no confusion. So if you would, please stand so I can pray for you. God, we come before you today and we thank you for this time together, this time of communion, Lord. God, we pray that we can be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry in every situation that life throws at us, that we can meditate on your word and understand that that's what's gonna change the world. Let us be temples of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us be the hands and feet. Let us not just listen, but let us do. God, as we partake in Holy Communion, let us remember and not get sidetracked that this work is for you. That everything that you have given us in this life, it's because of you. We thank you that we're able to gather here in this place and I pray that there's encouragement, that there's action and that there's hope. God, I thank you for this body of believers and I pray that by your spirit, we will see the world be changed. Lord, we love you and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as you feel led, please come and partake in communion.
1: worship you forever i'm gonna worship you i'm gonna worship you forever i'm gonna worship you and i'm gonna worship you forever i'm gonna worship you and i'm gonna worship you forever i'm gonna worship you with your voices
0: Let that be a call to you this week to always remember what you're doing it for in the first place. I'll leave you with three simple easy points. You might have heard these before. But as you go out this week, I want you to do three things. Trust God. Read the Bible. And do what it says. It's what James tells us to do. It's the way that we can go out and see the change in the world. Let God work through you. So I want to thank you for joining us here today. We look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you all. We love you.